I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And good morning, we welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. I invite you to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. You're also invited to visit our website, www.asburybaptist.org. In addition, you can reach more messages and more Bible teaching on gospeldynamite.org as well. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God? You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I invite you to take your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. As we look today, a marriage made in heaven. Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven say, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, O ye servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. We all know that weddings can be spectacular. Many people spend thousands of dollars trying to produce a perfect moment in time that will join a couple together in marital bliss. Typically, the church is decorated to the hilt. The bride is resplendent in her pure white wedding dress, and the groom stands nervously at the front of the church. It's a special moment in the lives of these two individuals, a man and a woman, and for the people who know them and love them. Weddings here on earth are a special event. Sometimes weddings can simply be a spectacle. 
Everyone who has a wedding is looking for something that narrows down to one thing, a marriage made in heaven. I want you to know that while some marriages may have been made in heaven, they still have to be lived out here on this earth, and that tends to make most of them less than perfect. We've arrived at an exciting portion of the Bible. After the dark, dreary passages we've been enduring, these verses gleam with the glory of heaven. We're going to talk about a wedding today. Not just any wedding, but the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now this wedding will be a great time of great joy for all the redeemed people of God. You see, for the church, the end times shape up like this. In the rapture, we will be caught up. At the judgment seat of Christ, we will be cleaned up. And at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we will be cheered up. It is this event that we park here today. Now, if you're saved, I want you to know there are some blessed days ahead for you. And if you're lost, I want you to know that you need to get ready to meet the Lord. He's coming, and he's coming for his people. The rest will be left behind to endure the tribulation and face the fires of hell. Today, let's take a journey to glory and look in on our future. I want you to see in verses 1 through 6 the exaltation of the Savior. The exaltation of the Savior. Now, typically a wedding is followed by a celebration. And the time before a wedding is usually filled with tremendous stress, many hours of preparation. And while it's a happy time for those who are involved, it's anything but a time of celebration. In heaven, things are different. It seems from this passage that heaven rejoices before and after the wedding. I like that. And the cause of all of this rejoicing is mentioned in verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And it seems the marriage of the Lord Jesus is the catalyst for the anthems of praise from heaven. Now those in heaven lift their voices in four hallelujahs. That fills the heavens with praise. Verse 1, there is the hallelujah of God's salvation. Heaven praises the Lord for all he has done. They praise him for the cross. They praise him for the blood. They praise him for the empty grave, the empty tomb. They're saved, they're in heaven, and they have a reason to shout. They have a reason to praise. Years ago in Wales, there lived a man by the name of Billy Bray. He was an old-time shouter. Many of the people who heard him shout used to rebuke him for praising the Lord so loudly and so often. And whenever they would try to stop him, old Billy Bray would say this, I can't help it because God has been so good to me. With every step I take, I remember his glory. 
He said, I put my right foot down, and it says hallelujah. I put my left foot down, and it says amen. With that, Billy Bray would march off shouting hallelujah and amen with every step he took. Billy Bray knew that God deserved the praise for the salvation he so freely gives. In verses 2 and 3, we see the hallelujah of God's sentence. The residents of heaven praise the Lord for executing his judgment upon a lost, sinful, rebellious world. They know that his judgments are fair, and they are right, and they are perfect. Therefore, they praise his name. Lest we forget, we're serving a God who's already won the war with evil. That's right. God has already won the war with evil, and as a result, his people come out on top of this thing, and that, my friend, is enough to give him glory and praise for. But I also bring your attention to verses 4 and 5 because we have the hallelujah of God's sovereignty. If you take the time to look at the book of Revelation, these 24 elders who are mentioned show up about six distinct times. Revelation 4 and verse 10, Revelation 5 and verse 8, Revelation 5 and verse 14, Revelation 7 and verse 11, Revelation 11 and verse 16, and then finally, Revelation 19 and verse 4. And every time they do, they are doing the same thing. They are falling on their faces and worshiping the Lord. Now, just to let you know, just to let you in on a secret, these 24 elders represent the redeemed of God. If you are saved, they picture you. Why are they praising the Lord so much? Because in heaven they are finally free from the limitations of the flesh and they can see God like he truly is. They're no longer afraid nor are they ashamed to worship him, but now they are ready, they are willing, and they're able to fall down before the Lamb of God and shout his praises. If it ever dawned on us the reality of all God is, of all he has done for us, of all that is ours as his children, there isn't a saved person in this world who would not shout himself hoarse because our Lord deserves praise. Now one day we will, but we won't get hoarse. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6, we have the hallelujah of God's supremacy. Then they praise the Lord for his reign. They glorify the Lord that at last he is honored, he is exalted, he is worshiped by all of his creation. There is coming a day when the Lord will have the glory, the honor he deserves all the time. And I look forward to being in that number when we stand around the throne and lift our hallelujahs to the glory of God. I want to call your attention to verse 4. There are two heavenly words mentioned 
here that you and I need to look at just for a moment. They are amen and hallelujah. Verse 4. The four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Now the word amen is the word that means signifying agreement with and approval of the word of God. Now when amen appears at the beginning of a sentence, it means truly. This word was used by Jesus on many occasions. When it's spoken concerning the words uttered by another, it means I agree or so be it. It has been said that amen is the most widely known word in the world. The word hallelujah is a Hebrew word meaning praise the Lord. It is used only one time in the New Testament, and that was to give glory and honor to the Lamb. It is heaven's praise word. I just want to say to you, and I intend to be in tune with heaven, we need to learn to use a little bit of heavenly language down here on this earth. Therefore, learn to say amen, hallelujah every now and then. If the Lord's moving in your heart, your soul, just try it. I guarantee you one thing, it won't hurt you. Verses 7 and 8, I bring to your attention the excitement of the supper. Now, this marriage made in heaven will be the consummation of some very important and powerful events. In verse 7, we see the excitement of a completed plan. Notice the words, is come. These words imply a sense of relief that a long-anticipated event has finally arrived. Nothing could be truer. For at this moment, God's plan for the ages is finally complete. Since man sinned in the Garden of Eden, God has been working to bring men back to fellowship with him. This was accomplished when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of humanity. Now, all those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are saved by the grace of God, and they're brought nigh unto him. While many may be saved, they're still not in the very presence of God in heaven. On this day, that will change. This is the moment when Jesus receives his bride unto himself. This will be the most special moment in all of the history of creation. It will be the moment when the Lamb of God takes his bride unto himself. By the way, did you notice that at this wedding, the groom and not the bride is the center of the attention? Down here, everything is on hold until they start playing the wedding march and the bride, the center of attention, makes her way down the aisle. In heaven, things are just a little bit different. It's not the bride, it's the groom, the Lord Jesus, who is the center of attention. If that happened here, there'd be some angry women. However, over there, it won't matter in the least. In fact, I think it will be the bride herself who gives him the most attention. Verses 7 and 8, we see the excitement of a completed presentation. 
Now, it might help us to understand a little of the background for weddings of this type. In Oriental weddings, there were typically three stages. There was the betrothal stage, the presentation stage, and the celebration stage. First, let's look at the betrothal stage. This would be something like we would know in, in the Western world as an engagement. However, the major difference lies in the fact that this was a binding agreement. When a couple was betrothed, they were considered married. There was no getting out of it except through a divorce or death. And even though the couple did not dwell together or share the marriage bed, they were nonetheless married. Another difference was that the marriage partners and the marriages themselves were usually arranged by the parents of the bride and the groom. You didn't even get to pick your own mate. Love was not usually the basis for marriages. You didn't marry for love. You loved who you married. Many could learn a lesson from that today. The bride of Christ is in the midst of this betrothal period right now. We've been picked by the Heavenly Father. We're married to Jesus right now. And we're waiting to go with him. Secondly, you would have the presentation stage. When the time of the wedding arrived, the father of the groom would send the bridegroom and his friends to the bride's home. They would get her and bring her back to the groom's house, which he had prepared for her with great celebration and great joy. There, gifts would be exchanged, the married marriage would be consummated, and the couple would begin their lives together. That's what we're waiting on today. We are married. We're just waiting on the bridegroom to come and call his bride to come meet him. Friend, that day is coming. Are you ready when he comes? Then thirdly, there would be the festival stage or the celebration stage. Following the wedding, the couple, their friends, their families would enter a time of celebration. We'll deal with that thought a little more in depth in just a few moments. We see in verses 7 and 8, in addition, the excitement of a completed preparation. Notice what the text says. His wife hath made herself ready. Now, typically, Oriental brides, and when we say Oriental, we're not talking about Chinese, Japanese, or anything Asian. The word Oriental in this day would have been used to describe any, anything or tradition in the East. So typically, the Oriental brides prepared their own wedding garments, and it could be as elaborate as wealthy as they were or as poor as they were, but it could be as elaborate or as simple as they chose to make it. Usually it consisted of two pieces. One would be an inner garment called a tunic. The second one would be the outer garment called a toga. 
It was the bride's responsibility to get herself ready for the wedding. Now, you and I need to understand something, that it's our responsibilities to prepare ourselves for that day that is coming as well. Verse 8 says that the bride of Christ will be clothed in white linen and that this linen is the righteousness of the saints. I take that to imply how simply or how elaborately we are dressed may depend on the kind of life we lived while we were here in this world. Let me illustrate. There are three kinds of righteousness that a person can have. There's personal righteousness, provided righteousness, and practical righteousness. Personal righteousness is the righteousness you can produce all by yourself. It is basically evil and no good at all can come from it. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. In our own righteousness, we're literally dressed in rags before our God. Then you have provided righteousness. This is the righteousness that we are given. And we're given this righteousness when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. He who was rich was made poor so that we could be rich. This refers to that tunic or inner garment. We have been provided with a spotless inner garment of righteousness. Then we have practical righteousness, and this would be the righteousness that we live out each day that we're in this world. It refers to how we conduct ourselves, how well we submit to authority, and how we use the opportunities, the gifts, the responsibilities, the privileges we're given as children of God. This speaks of the outer garment or the toga that the world sees. It's pure speculation, but... How well we are dressed at the wedding may depend on how we live here. It may be that the wedding garments will be handed out at the judgment seat of Christ. You study Matthew 22, verses 1 through 12, you see how that will reflect of how we lived our life here below. It's something worth thinking about. Now, whatever the scenario that's played out here, the fact remains that the bride has made the proper preparations and she's ready for the wedding. This means that the faith she places in Jesus is not misplaced. It means that all of her trials and struggles are behind her. It means that she has trusted the Lord to save her, and he has. She is home. She is loved. And she is ready to enter into the joy of her Lord. What a day that will be. Uh, Notice with me in verses 9 and 10. We see the expectation of the saints. This wedding doesn't end with a couple coming together to live. This wedding will continue with a celebration like nothing this universe has ever seen. Let me suggest a few brief thoughts. Notice the guest at the wedding. Oh, there's going to be guests at the heavenly wedding. Who? 
Well, it will be the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. It's going to be a group made up of all Jews and Gentiles who were saved before Pentecost and after the rapture. That will be quite an assembly. Then you're going to have the glory of the wedding supper. After the Oriental wedding, there was always a celebration. The length and the opulence all depended on the wealth of the bridegroom. When men, rich men married, their wedding celebrations might last up to seven days. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to present his bride with a celebration that will last 1,000 years. And after the wedding, we will return with him to this earth, and he will put down his enemies, and he will establish his throne on this earth. Then... He and his bride will reign together during the millennial kingdom for 1,000 years. Several of you might even remember in 1981 the wedding of Prince Charles, the Prince of Wales, to Lady Diana Spencer. It was an, a, a spectacular event. It was a spectacle of enormous cost. Billions of people watched this royal wedding. However, that wedding was doomed. Later, the world got to watch that same wedding collapse as publicly as it had begun. Friend, I'm trying to tell you about a real royal wedding. It is a wedding that will be attended by more people than any other in history. It is a wedding that will be more extravagant than any in world history. It is a wedding that will produce a marriage that will last longer than anything ever has in history. It will be a real royal wedding. Then notice we have also the groom at the wedding supper. In a typical oriental wedding celebration, the groom would mingle with the guests to be sure that everyone had every need met. Imagine what it will be like in the presence of the Lord Jesus and have him to be occupied with seeing that our joy is full. Jesus will actually serve his people on that day. Luke chapter 12 and verse 37. And my, that is almost beyond the grasp of our minds. I can imagine the society page of the New Jerusalem Times the next day. It might read something like this. Yesterday, the Lamb of God took his bride unto himself in a service presided over by the Heavenly Father. The bride was dressed in garments of glorious white, and she's spotless and without blemish. The groom was clothed in glory, as is his custom. The angelic hosts lifted their voices together and praised the name of the Most High God while the cherubim and the seraphim hovered overhead crying, Holy, Holy, Holy! After the service, the couple left heaven to return to the earth for a 1,000-year honeymoon. And when they returned, they planned to spend eternity together in the palaces of heaven. My friend, are you ready for that wedding in the sky? There will be a marriage made in heaven someday, but only the redeemed are invited. Does that include you? If not, it can. 
Please come to Christ today. Come to Jesus and be saved. For those who are going, consider for a moment how you will be preparing for that day. What kind of garments will you be wearing when you stand there at the royal wedding? The time to prepare is today. The place to prepare is here. The person to prepare is you. Will you come to Christ and let the Lord work in your heart and your life? Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.